Thank you for tuning in to Up Close with Monique McNeil. I'm your host, Monique McNeil, and we have a special guest on with us today. Um, We have Robin Jones on the line with us today, and she's going to talk to us about her award-winning Bronze Lens Best Documentary, 2020, The Year of the Nurse. And this film, this documentary, is it really digs deep into the lives of nurses who are on the front lines of this pandemic. Uh, the pandemic really altered the, the lives of everyone. Everyone was affected by this pandemic. And so many people dealt with this pandemic in, in whatever way that they knew how. But today we're going to dig deep. We're going to dig deep with Robin Jones. Robin is uh, was a nurse for over 30 years and has been a, a film director by night. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for being on Up Close with Monique McNeil with us today. Hey, how are you, Zay? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for being on with us today. I, I am so blessed and so honored for you to take your time from your busy schedule um, to talk to us today about your documentary, your award-winning documentary. Um, (laughs) Congratulations, girl. I I am so happy for you. Um, Once again, this is the 2021 Bronze Lens Best Documentary, 2020, The Year of the Nurse. Tell us about that, Robin. Well, this was a documentary that was captured in real time. And it tells you about how the nurses um, managed COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, as they collided, and also mental health challenges that went along with it. And we also talked about issues with discrimination as well in the healthcare field. That right there alone is two powerful situations that was happening at the same time. Yes. I mean, we can only imagine as people what that was like to endure uh, this pandemic and being a nurse at the same time. It's just, you really had a, a powerful insight to what was happening in the trenches and, you know, to make that come alive. Yeah, it was, um, it wasn't hard because the nurses were coming to me with their stories and their fears. Because some of them were staying in their car, they wasn't going home, and it was just really hard for them, us as a medical team, to connect, like, what was going on, because you're looking at the news, then you're watching what's going on in the organization. And so, I, it it was hard for me to kind of help them to deal with it, because it was, the news was changing every day. Mm. Wow. Wow. And we're, and we're only getting what we see on the news, but you were essentially the news. You were right there in real time. And that, that's what really separates this documentary is, is that it was like a, a real-time situation. Right. And when you look at the documentary and you look at some of the nurses, you can see the fear anxiety and pain in their eyes and that wasn't a day that we wasn't filming that it wasn't emotional because either they were sick someone they knew was sick or someone had passed 
or we were dealing with cases that you didn't have the answer to and mm. people were dying so fast and they were healthcare workers like us. So we don't experience that usually, you know, we might hear someone had a heart attack or was, you know, lost in a car collision, but to actually um, get COVID and end up dying, it's like, it's, it's, that's the hardest thing to take care of your peers. Right. And, and, and this documentary really dives deep into the mental health, you know, because, you know, I think, during the midst of, of this pandemic, when it first started, everybody's kind of just scrambling, trying to figure out how to even deal with this new normal. But we're not really thinking about what it is that you're enduring on the other side. What it is, because you're, at the end of the day, you're human too, right? And you have to internalize and, and, and deal with what is in front of you. And especially being a nurse, I mean, you've been a nurse for over 30 years. You're talking several different certifications and awards that, that was given to you, um, distinguished awards that was given to you. How was this pandemic different than anything you've seen in your 30 years of your professional career? I'm so used to following the science and research when we treat patients. And, you know, new things come about, seem like every 10 to 20 years. You know, I remember... I've worked long enough as a nurse to mm. where I didn't wear gloves when I first started in nursing. So that was a new nuance when it came about. You had to get used to feeling for veins with gloves on and really, you know, being able to assess with them. And now it's a norm. But when the uh, COVID came in, it was different because we thought it was going to be something kind of, you know, easy to manage, but mm -hmm. we wasn't getting all the information. And once people started dying, and getting and testing positive, we knew we had a pandemic on our hands. And it, I, I felt like we was behind the eight ball because the information was coming out so slow from various health organizations because leadership played a part in that. Mm -hmm. And we really, um, we moved by science. And so even still today, I call this round two we're going into. This one I fear... I'm not going to say the most, but these babies are involved. And that bothers me because um, pediatrics itself is a specialty. So right. when you start getting babies with different right. um, illnesses, it's, it's a little harder. And the harder than that, even deeper. So it's, I'm, I'm concerned about what we're going through now as well. And, and I was going to actually ask you about that with, with this new you know, variant on the rise, you know, it's killing hundreds and thousands of people. It's really peaking again is, is what I'm seeing. So that is a concern for you. Yeah, my prayer is that since the FDA has approved it, some people that are skeptical might decide I'm going to go ahead and do this. And as a nurse, I'm constantly answering questions, sending, you know, resources to people because my, my thing is let's talk it out. You know, if you have questions, tell me what's scaring you about, you know, taking the vaccination. And we have a discussion. And I can say I've helped a lot of people to make um, sound decisions. Whatever their decision was, it was a sound decision because mm -hmm. I helped them to answer their concerns. Because um, as a culture, African-American, you know, we, we've got some some horror stories from different um um, things that were done to us in the past. And sometimes people, they stick to that. They said, they're just using us as guinea pigs. And I try to help them to look at the true science and look at what's happening next door to them and what's happening at the grocery store. 
and the people that they know that are dying and getting sick. So, you know, it's, this isn't a hoax. This is really happening in real time. Right. Every day. Every, Every day. day. While we're sleeping and while we're going about our daily lives and while we're, you know, at the park and we every single day, every second, this is real and it, it's threatening the lives. And like, as you just mentioned, this new variant is specifically, you know, targeting or affecting young children. And right wow. now, I don't think that these young children are yet approved for the vaccination. So is that is that what makes it a little bit more scary? Is that you're now dealing with a population of people who aren't or aren't able yet to be vaccinated or to get that protection? Does that make this more scarier? It's, it's concerning, but the scariest part is the adults that are not vaccinated because they possibly could be the ones that contributing to these numbers going up because the adults that are getting the vaccination, they're doing it to protect their children and protect their elderly parents and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But we have those, as we call them in science and in nursing outliers that decided I'm not going to do it. So they're moving around in those clean spaces, that population. So that's where your babies are, you know, because if your whole family's been vaccinated, but then the kids are out and about and the person that's, you know, um, working at the school hasn't been vaccinated yet. They're exposed to that. So they have to, my grandkids fall in that hole and they know to wear their masks, wash their hands, don't get close to anybody because they're, they're vulnerable and they get that. They're going to tell you, step back, please. My name ain't say, get back because <laughs> they know <laughs> they haven't had the vaccine. Right. Right. So how did I, I mean, you're a nurse 30 years. How did you even get into you know, film. How did, how did you, that's another whole world, (laughs) (laughs) two separate worlds. Um, how did you even, what piqued your interest about, um, jumping into film and how did that come about? Well, it's interesting. I was in the process of writing a book about five years ago Mm -hmm. and I had a childhood friend from Florida because that's where I'm originally from and I'm in Virginia now. And he called me about a project turnaround it was a movie and he was actually one of the executive producers and he kind of talked to me about getting involved with film and I got it piqued my interest and so I went down and and I loved everything about it and that was my first big project that I got involved with and I've been rolling ever since um (laughs) with probably about 13 projects and they just get better and better and I'm learning as I go but I tell anybody that film and nursing, they marry so well together because the wow. same goals I set in nursing, you know, I'm identifying something and then we're figuring out how to treat it. And I'm figuring out in film how to tell it. Mm. And then in nursing, I evaluate and see if that was a good plan. Then we move forward and mm-hmm. film the same thing based on how people respond to it. Do we need to do more? Or do we need to just ride it out? And that's how I feel about this documentary. It has just exploded with so many great conversations. Right. And people are learning. That's the first thing they say. I learned so much. Right. Right. I I, I am just <clears throat> so excited and excited for you for, the, for this win. Um, excited that you are able to kind of tell your story. And not just tell your story, but really 
bring it to life for people to really understand because like I said, we I could sit here and I can think all day what it would be like to be a nurse on the front lines, but I'm not a nurse. And I and I feel like this documentary really, you know, pulls back that curtain and digs underneath the, the, the layers. It digs deep of yeah. what it was like, what you endured, what you saw, you know, the, the mental health piece of it. Um, you know, I think there's a, a bit, and I'm going to play in a bit, <clears throat> just a snippet about, you know, you talked about the Black Lives Matter movement that was happening um, at that at the same time during this pandemic. And the fact that you bring that up during this documentary, what, how did those two collide? How did the, the, the pandemic, being a nurse, being a black nurse, um, and the whole Black Lives Matter movement, how did that all collide for you? Well, you think about it, we were dealing with COVID and we were like distancing ourselves. We were working from home. Everybody's geared up. And then this happens. People are getting killed, unjust, and the the country was in outrage. Mm -hmm. And so we as a country decided we're going to march. We're going to protest. We want them to listen. But we had COVID. So you had to choose. Mm. If we're just going to stay home and let this continue, are we going to take a stance? And so it, in the documentary, my nurse, one of my nurses really talk about this because she actually marched. And it's so important that, you know, there are things that, that inhibit us from doing certain protests. But this here was so significant mm-hmm. because you think about it, we were already divided as a country. And, and when I say that, we 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 don't like to be isolated. It it feels almost like incarceration. And you think about that. We're at home. We're not around our peers. We can't go to church. Mm-hmm. And then if you do have a diagnosis or are scared that you might have COVID, you got to be quarantined by yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was scary. So I know I did a lot of counseling on the phone to people that was by themselves because the whole family done left or they done put them in a hotel because they possibly could be positive. And those things have not been dealt with because we, as a people, we go to church, we praise, we, 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 we fellowship, we hug, we do all those things. Mm-hmm. And that's been kind of on hold. Yeah. And it's, you feel kind of naked because you can't just hug people just, and let it out and say that you have to hold it in. So it's, it's challenging. And my biggest concern as a grandmother and a mother is that um, the children are going back to school, which is great with the right safety measures in place, but they haven't had the discussion either, you know, about what happened with the Black Lives Matter. They had a great time to watch it because they was in the house. And so now those conversations may have to be handled in school by the teachers and the professionals because it, it impacted everybody. Right. Right. You're right. Something, you know, in this, and I believe one of your quote one of your nurses that they, they said that during the documentary is that this was happening for years. This has been going on for years. Um, right. the, the differences, I think that the, the, the pandemic forced people to stop and listen, you no longer was, you know, distracted by work or too busy to pay attention to the news. Right. You were home. You were in front of the television. That was 
your whole, essentially your whole world because we were not moving about and coming and going and, you know, being sidetracked and then for it to be recorded in, in that way. And I think George Floyd really, there was such a shift of momentum of people who, mm-hmm. you know, didn't really think of things that way. I've had people come to me and say, you know, I never really thought of it that way. Or, you know, by my silence, by me not mm-hmm. speaking mm-hmm. up and speaking out against what is happening, um, yeah. <clears throat> is, is me either you're a part of the problem or you're part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And it's either or. It's no longer one foot in, one foot out. Either I'm going to stand up and, and speak out mm-hmm. beside you, or I'm going to stay silent and be a part of this problem. And and that, that's powerful what you just said. Right. Because as soon as this trailer came out, I had at least three Caucasian friends to call me, and mm. they were, like, emotional. And one of them, we've been friends for years, and she said, I really think I have a problem. I'm prejudiced or something. And I said, why would you say that? And she said, I've seen you've been overlooked for promotions and stuff that you was overly qualified. I've seen them kind of shut you down when you're, you know, flowing because I'm so smart and I love, you know, creating stuff. And she said, I didn't say anything. I just kind of said, oh, well, you know, I'm going to just stay out of it. Mm -hmm. And now she's looking at what I'm doing now. And she's like, I I was wrong. I should have said something. That's right. And I say it takes courage to say stuff because once you say it, they have to be ready to deal with what's behind that statement because it's a lot behind it. That's right. There's a, and, and it's that simple, that simple action, okay, mm-hmm. of what your, right. your, your colleague did or your friend did um, makes such a big difference because it's it, when we all start speaking out and not allowing these little types, any type of any way to be racist or, you know, um, to limitless, uh, especially of black people from achieving certain things. And you're watching this happen. If, if, if all of us stood up and said something, then that's when change comes about. And I think George Floyd really had people uncomfortable. He really made people uncomfortable, people who were complacent with this type of thing or, Oh yeah, they always say, you know, Mm-hmm. racist this or racist that or, you know, this is what's happening. But wait a minute. This is really real. This is, I, I think George Floyd really made people look at themselves and say, yeah. well, what am I doing to make a change? And what am I not doing to allow this? Exactly. Right, right. And you kind of grasp that in your documentary. It's just so powerful, um, the whole documentary. I wish I was able to... Uh, see the whole thing, <laughs> but I, I missed the deadline. I was like, no, I wanted to see that. So go ahead. Trust me. It's been a lot of people saying, please. And I said, no, you missed that window, that world premiere. It was just amazing. And so many people were waiting to see it. We had people all over the country, you know, um, that watched it. And I was shocked to have so many people in other countries buying tickets and saying, Hey, it was just, life changing and just connecting different pieces with their life because yes. they they brought up some of the scenes but it, it touched places in their heart because it's not anybody that I can tell you I know that hadn't been affected by COVID. That's right. Whether they had a neighbor or a That's loved right. one or even they had it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It altered our lives in, in such a way, you know, I you know, myself, you know, had my son and, 
December 2019, actually December 19th, 2019. And um, two months, two, three months after we went into quarantine. Um, So that completely, you know, and then I have a a teenager who's going to be 14. So it it really just altered my life as far as, you know, not being able to be out and about with my son. It it altered my son, his his being able to be socialized. And, you know, now he's kind of has social issues, you know, communicating with people. All he he saw was eyes. When he he was out, there was no communicating. There was no, and it just really highlights. I mean, this pandemic really highlighted the deficiencies or inadequacies that we have in every facet of our society. Right. Of our society but what, as a whole. But what you said was key because it also showed how much interaction we need and desire to yes. feel whole because right. especially kids. Yes. When you see kids they want to touch you and hug you and laugh and giggle. And it, it was it was so restricted, you know, that they couldn't even like hug you. And I went through that with my grandkids. There was a period of time we were just doing Zoom or FaceTime on our phones because I feared for their safety. Because right. I was still in and out of the hospital and around a lot of people. So it, it really bothered them. You know, they were sad. And I had to keep explaining it over and over again and using analogies to, to make them understand it's nothing that they had did wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. That their whole world, everybody's world as we knew it has changed. And, and I don't, I honestly don't think that we'll ever, in my own opinion, go back to exactly that the way that we were. And, and I think it, we'll be wearing masks forever. <laughs> I think, you know, I think you're right. I think it's, it's a bittersweet <laughs> because I remember our lives the way that it was prior to, to 2020 and the way we would conjugate and come together and, like you said, hug and, you know, hold hands or just a simple gesture of talking somebody to somebody close or being in crowds or being around pe- So this has completely changed the way we live and the way we think about other people and being in large crowds and, you know, like my daughter, being at school. So, so many different, it, it, like you said, this really affected every single, I don't think there is any person on this earth um, that could say that this pandemic, that COVID-19 did not alter or change or affect their life in some way. And the fact that you really grab this, this change and this momentum of change in film, how, like, how, how did you go about doing that? Did you just bring in the cameras into work or how did, how did that? How did <laughs> well, you... I set it up in, in interview form Okay. because these nurses were coming to me, telling me things that were really heavy and they were bothering me and they were bothering them. Right. And I spent like the first three weeks of the pandemic in the chapel at, at uh, work trying to understand how I could help. And God spoke to me and told me I needed to log it, journal it. I needed to do something. And so I started um, journaling what they were saying. And then I started interviewing them and I created some questions and I asked everybody the same question. Mm. And being a nurse um, research based, you always go into something thinking, you know what people are going to say. But if you true doing true research, you're baffled by the answers. And so that's how it was for me with the nurses. They were all black practitioners and nurses um, that I interviewed. 
Uh, and I did that, you know, strategically because everything I saw in the networks didn't represent us. That's and right. so I wanted to know how they felt and how things they were dealing with because, you know, it's a lot in the African-American community that goes along with, um, you know, a pandemic. We, we got a lot of comorbidities, high blood pressure, diabetes, and different right. things that we're dealing with as well. Right. So um, I ended up bringing in my crew. It was just one nurse, um, my cousin who's a pastor, and my film team. It was always a small crew, and I interviewed them about five or six hours apiece. And we have a lot of footage of different questions, and we caught stuff in real time. And I just took the main snippets that I could in an hour and 20 minutes, and it just it just changed everybody's perspective on things because you don't know what nurses or people are going through. Just like we didn't know what the lady at Target was going through, but I knew as a nurse she needed to be protected. And it took a while before we got all this, the clear frames up for them and the gloves and the masks. And so those people, you know, it was, they were behind the eight ball. A lot of them got sick. Because right. everything was moving, you know, it seems like snail time to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Due to the leadership and the administration, that's right. That's right. You know, I remember being pregnant, and um, this was back in November, um, before it was here in the States, and, you know, really watching mm-hmm. it on TV. And I remember turning to, you know, turning to my significant other and saying to him, this is going to come here. This is, this is, this is going to be a, ca- mm-hmm. uh, a catastrophe. And he's like, what do you mean, Monique? Mm-hmm. That's all the way over in China. I said, no, 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 no. He's not doing anything. Nothing is happening over here. It, nothing, right. you know, separates us except for air. And how does this infection right. come? It's through air. This is, this is going to come here, and this is going to be, if he does not prepare us and protect us and put in safety measures, because, you know, getting my master's in public administration, we really studied preparedness. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and how the lack of preparedness can really be detrimental between uh, the the difference between a catastrophic event or not. Mm -hmm. That preparedness and the lack of that preparedness really makes the difference. And I remember turning to him and saying, I'm telling you, this is going to be. And he was like, Monique, you're just, you know, you you read too much. You're you're thinking too much, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but you you knew the signs, too. That's right. That's right. Because yeah, if and it's I, over there, why wouldn't it come here? That's right. And and the thing for me, I'm I'm very um hopeful that the more we educate, the more these different rules are set in place, people are going to want to be safe overall. So, you know, I was looking at on the news and a couple of people called me about Carnival Cruise Line, you know, where somebody tested positive and mm-hmm. they passed away and but the cruise line they put markers in place that everybody needs to be tested and bring their card and so forth you know you're doing everything you can do and it still you know comes out on a negative we have to look at okay now we got to do something else because we're going to get everybody vaccinated but if it's living on different surfaces that stuff could have came in on the food and the carts that were bought on the boat you know you have to look you you got to just go broad and start looking at, okay, how can we keep these surfaces clean? It's, you know, a lot of things are going to change, but I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that when things like this happen, it's for us to shift as a country, as a culture, as people. And working from home and doing different um, activities via Zoom and, you know, being able to see my mother who's in Florida and for her to see her grandkids not having to fly here 
just from the computer. Those things are so valuable in ordering goods and services off of line, mm-hmm. things that's been there, but we were kind of afraid to dabble into it. And it, it does make a difference. So I think there's been a lot of positive things that's been um, expedited because they've been here. We just wasn't using them. Right, right, right. Just like um, Zoom. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah. having these Zoom meetings, but never understood how essential that they could really play a part in our lives and, and, and how much of a difference that, that it would make. Um, and being a nurse, you know, you touched on something, um, you know, that this pandemic really showed the inadequacies and the def- deficiencies that we have within our society. But really going back to the inner city community and those communities specifically of color, um, how do you think that this pandemic really altered or affected because it's like you're taking a group of people who are, you know, lack um, the proper resources or inadequate health care from the beginning, okay? Then you throw in the pandemic. How detrimental do you think that this was to those communities? I, I think as a whole, when you're dealing with a pandemic and you said it from your background, you have to look at each um, inner city area and see how their service and how you can reach them. That's why community health has always been so powerful because people say, well, you know, they don't want to get their um, vaccination. Who is they? And when they say African-Americans, you you have to realize they got three kids at home. Mm -hmm. They're working from home and they're taking care of their mom. Mm -hmm. How can they get everybody down there to get a vaccination and all that? Why don't we have these health bands coming through the neighborhoods and letting people come out and get, you know, you, you got to adapt to that particular culture. That's right. It's not that people may not want to go. They may not even have the money to go. Accessibility. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that they don't want to, but you're looking at it from a different lens. They can't just run up there and get a vaccination and they got three kids that, that can't get a vaccination and you got to have somebody at home with them. It's Mm -hmm. all the same issues that we dealt with before this. You, you come in and assess the situation and say, this is how we can serve this community. Just like the rural communities, we have nurses that go out and check on them. E- even people in the rural areas that are having babies, you have midwives going and deliver babies. So the same principle should have been applied to certain areas that we know they don't have cars. Mm-hmm. They can't even get to these places where, you, where you're given the vaccines at. It's interesting that you say that. And it, what really hit home for me and had my mind thinking um, because is the children, the, the homeless, unaccompanied children is where my mind immediately went to. Um, dealing with youth and, and youth at risk is something that is dear to my heart. Um, so when this pandemic came about, I, w- I immediately thought about, you know, the children, the homeless children who, like I said, are unaccompanied, who rely on schools for shelter, for food, right. for a, a escape of the elements. Um, you know, and it's interesting when I was speaking to some policymakers, they didn't really think of it that way. They didn't really think about how detrimental that these institutions, these buildings matter to children. Right. And, right. What, and what was happening to those children? Where were they going? There was, you know, when you look at shelters, shelters are typically 
you know, for adults or for families. But you're talking about a homeless children who literally are living on the street or living in cars or or living in people's homes, but now are put out because they want to keep that social distancing and all this pandemic. They can't go to school, so they're they're lacking the nourishment from there. So, like I said, this pandemic really brought about a lot of deficiencies that we have, and that that's just you just reminded me of that, like these kids, these. Homeless kids that was out and about, you know, what was happening to them and, and how we really need to think about accessibility as a whole right. um, to attack right. this pandemic. Um, but it, go ahead. And not assuming that they understand the things that we know. I think we have to be a voice for it. When something happens, you have to explain to people right. that over here, none of these people have cars and they may not have bus money. And the ones that do a middle class, they may not have child care to watch the kids so they can go get in these long lines for different things. So people don't look at that. They're just acting like you don't want to do it. Ask them, say, well, Robin, why haven't you had your vaccine? So you can say, hey, I'm working 12-hour shifts. If they if they could just come on here as soon as we come out. And that's how it was set up at our facility. Nice. You know, they, they, they sent you emails for different things and you chose if you wanted to do it. And then you made appointments online and then you were able to get off the floor and go and get yourself the vaccination. But that was convenient because we were working. I didn't have time to go to nowhere else and stand in line. So the same thing should be afforded for the teachers. I think if they're coming back, vaccinations coming in or have a day where everybody get vaccinated because that's how it was when I was young. You know, they used to do our physical at school because we couldn't afford to go to the doctor. So they did our physical. And gave us everything we needed. And, you know, we did it because it was accessible to us. That's right. That's right. Everybody was accounted for. Everybody was thought of. You know, I think sometimes people just look at things one-dimensional. And, like you said, don't look at from all four corners. You know, sometimes we really got to step outside of ourselves and say, well, gee, okay, this may affect this person, you know, because of this situation. Um. So this was a wonderful, you, you, it was just so great to see this come alive. Like I said, um, from the little bit of trailer that I was able to see, fortunately. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You're going to get to see it one day. You will. Ah, So what, what are some future projects that you have going on? Well, my main focus is I have so much footage from this project, probably about 80 to 90 hours of footage. Nice. So I plan on putting it together and rolling it out because I could probably do a um, docu-series on all these different questions that I asked throughout the pandemic in in real time. And then we're still in it. So it's so relevant because it's a lot of education. It's a lot of things that you can relate to. And it's a call to action, you know, for us to get involved and be a part of this. And if, you know, you've had your vaccination and you may have felt bad the first day and, you know, you shed it. It is going to better than getting on the ventilator because uh, we prevention is the key. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I think, I think if anything, this, it, it also really made us look at, you know, the PPE and having accessibility to that PPE. Do you feel like you your your establishment has enough of that PPE, or is that something that you? 
we do now. No, nobody had enough when it started because my my background is renal dialysis. I've worked with blood, with blood mm-hmm. because um, we clean patients' blood for dialysis, and you know that's I've did that for over thirty years, and so. We've always wore, you know, the gowns, the boot covers, the gloves, the masks, all of that. And that's a very expensive outfit for the day, you know, and you change it a couple times a day. So I knew when this happened, we wasn't prepared for it. But, you know, you got to be looking at the whole picture. So that's why I feel nurses are so instrumental as we go through this COVID to be at the table to discuss some things because it's just like husband and wife. Uh, you know, they say that the man is the head, but the woman is the neck. She's directing and kind of, you know, facilitating, you know, baby, make sure you pick this up and make sure you do that. And I think with nursing, we're the same. Our physicians, they diagnose and then they say, hey, this person has diabetes. Can you educate them and, you know, make sure their stuff is ordered at the pharmacy and all of that. So we're the ones that's spending time with them. We're the ones that's saying, hey, you really need to take your medicine. Mm-hmm. The doctor has said you have high blood pressure. But we're the ones that, and they may say, I can't help it. I'm only able to eat oodles and noodles. And then we're, we're trying to help them with meal planning, get social services and things that can get them what they need. So I think we have not been at the table. And nurses by nature, we're developing processes and procedures to, to solve whatever the illness is. So I think we need to be there because we do have some thoughts on how we possibly can, can do things a little better. And I think also, you know, especially, you know, looking at your documentary and just knowing how brazen, you know, nurses played an, a detrimental role in the, in this pandemic, that nurses is just as important as a doctor. I think if that that is probably the takeaway, that there is no above or, you know, ahead of, but just as equally important. It plays such a, a, a dynamic, essential role just as a doctor? I think it's such a um, powerful collaboration. I can say throughout my um, dialysis career, I've been blessed to work with some dynamic nephrologists. And one thing they would always say, you know, if Robin is here, I know she got it. If she, But if she called me, something's wrong because I can usually handle and, and figure out stuff and develop processes and I can manage people well. So if I call them, they're, they're already turning the car around like something's going on. She need me back at the hospital or she need me back at the unit. And most of the time I did, but they didn't get many calls because if you, if you have the right people in the right uh, job and you know how to place people based on their skill set, you can usually run a good organization that way. And I think if you leave out, I tell people right now, if you don't have any young people involved in what you're doing, you're not going to be successful because they're the tech techie people. They understand this stuff. Mm-hmm. You spend you you spend an hour doing Girl. stuff they can do in ten minutes while they watching TV and talking on their phone. <laughs> you know, hire right. them. It'll cut your cost down. It's so funny you say that. My daughter. I just thought of my daughter right away. She uh, she's always figuring things out and all about the technology and and so it just. I just thought about my baby girl real quick, how, how quick and easy she is to uh, figure things out when it comes to that type of stuff. So you're absolutely right. But you know that skill, critical thinking, you're right. They're going to be able to critically think more so than we did because technology every day is something. And, and it's you, changing. They figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeez, it's so funny. She's like, no, mom, you do it like this. I'm like, oh, okay. 
Okay. <laughs> you trust her, don't you? You trust her. You say, okay. You, right, because I know she know what she she going to figure it out or she don't figure it out and she going to tell me. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But so <laughs> I, I, I definitely, I just want the people out there listening um, to once again uh, to this snippet of 2020, the year of the nurse. This was written, produced, and directed by lovely Robin Jones. And we're going to take oh. a peek <laughs> of, of, of this film real quickly. Let's listen here. Okay. I don't think people will ever be able to grasp what New York was unless they were there. To walk down the ER and see stretchers in the hallways and you don't know if patients are alive or dead. It took a couple of weeks to realize how people presented. What you found out is that you couldn't predict who was gonna die. And I'm not talking about just nurses, I'm talking doctors. I'm talking environmental staff, case managers, social workers, people out because they're sick with this. So my fear was, am I next? A lot of those nurses will die from this because they do not have the appropriate equipment. And then came the, wow, we were the most trusted profession. We thought we were the most loved as well. For black people, two pandemics collided. On May 25th, 2020, the Minneapolis police officer, Derek Chauvin, killed George Floyd. All of this stuff has been going on for decades. The only difference is that it's being filmed. It is very difficult to deal with the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement. Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. We've all had to face the difficulties that led up to, to this movement. People do not realize how mentally and physically exhausting the profession is. Mental health for me right now is hidden behind a smile and a happy face. I'm quick to tell people, oh, you need to go see somebody. You know, they got medication for that. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here suffering in silence. Wow. Powerful stuff powerful stuff so that was just when I heard that last uh, piece of that soundbite to listen to her say I'm hiding behind a smile but inside I'm you know basically petrified of, of what's happening before me yes because people come to us for answers and cures and we had none and so you could not show that especially when you went home because that was the thing I was getting calls from my mom my Mm. sisters my friends telling me this is going on what should I do and I said you're gonna just have to go home and quarantine until you can test but some people weren't able to get tested until they had a fever or they couldn't breathe but at the beginning, you remember, people wasn't even being tested. And if they weren't really bad, they were sent back home. So um, it, it, I understand what they were going through. But then we as nurses, 
you know, people stop us all the time in the access. They see me with my white coat. They go, you're a nurse. Look, I had surgery. You see how this? And I don't even know the people. They'll whip up their shirt. And I'm like, <laughs> um, I think you need to go see your doctor. I don't think it's infected, but you need to follow up, give him a call, you know. But people just trust us. So it was so much going on. We had to stay strong for our families. We had to stay educated. And we had to stay you know, in their space so they could see us. And I always tell people, it's like when you're on a plane going somewhere and everything's going smooth and you're getting drinks, they're passing out snacks and all of a sudden the cart is flying and they're back there in their seatbelt and you already know something just shifted because they're they're looking nervous. And so that's how I felt in the pandemic. Um, we were really scurrying around to figure out what to do and it was just moving so fast. It was it was scary and it, it still is scary, but I feel like the world is somewhat shifting and say, okay, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to not have a big party. Uh, I respect what they're saying. I'm going to just follow the guidelines because if we all follow the guidelines, things can get better. But as long as you got, you know, a mixture of opinions, it's hard because you you, you don't know if you've been around people that, Right. could possibly be carrying the virus because right. we have seen people with the vaccine test positive again. So, wow. you know, this boost, this booster that they're talking about, it's, it's necessary because I, I figured we would be getting it next year because I said moving forward after the vaccine, we're going to need a booster because we got so many variances right now, but it, it, it came sooner because everybody is not vaccinated. So this is going to be around a while. I just don't know long-term um, the effects of COVID on people because they use a term called um, long-haul syndrome to where people that have had it, you know, they're having a lot of health challenges. You know, they've, they've had COVID and recovered, right. but they may not can smell, they may not can taste, they may have some issues with their um, right. My blood pressure and different things. And, and we're saying now, if you've had COVID, make sure you have a cardiac workout work up because we're seeing that it's got some cardiac um, side effects too. So those are the things um, I'm concerned about because our healthcare system is already oversaturated wow. and the nursing shortage is high. So we need to stay well. I think I, you know, from my own opinion, I, you know, I spoke to a lot of people who are on the fence about being vaccinated. Um, and I think the major thing that comes up is that nobody knows what the results of this vaccine will be or what are any type of um, residual effects of this vaccine or um, because there has not been any time for clinical trials. And I think that's what, to me, you know, people that I've spoken to personally, that's what they say is that it's just, I would get it, but how do, how nobody knows what the effects are or what if, you know, and the, and, and it brings up this conversation and it's like, how do we, how, how do you answer that? Because nobody does know. There's nobody alive today who can say what these vaccines will be, let's say in the future, or what are the residual effects of getting this uh, vaccine? Well, you have to look at it holistically. And, and the example I would say is, um, the, the You look at the benefits of it and the risks of it. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a cure for COVID. 
So if I'm if I have no protection on me whatsoever, then I'm just I'm just I'm just going to a fight with no weapon. I'm just going in and see if I could you know fight it all by myself. Mm-hmm. Anything that we put in our body, your insulin, your blood pressure medicine, your Tylenol, all of it have side effects. But do they outweigh what you're dealing with at that time? It's like I I have migraines, so when I take my migraine medicine, it tends to make me a little sleepy. But it gets rid of my migraine. Right. And if I need to go pick up my grandkids or I need to continue work, the benefit for me is to go ahead and take my medicine. So when you look at this um, vaccine, I was definitely not going to take it until we had more data. But one of the nurses that's in the documentary, I saw on Facebook that she was finally out of ICU. I had no idea she had COVID and she was one of my mentees. And when I talked to her, she told me, she said, Miss Robin, you don't want this. She said, you do not want this. I almost died, but I could hear people moving around, my peers trying to help me. They didn't know what to do. They was treating everything that was going bad and shutting down. She said, if I could go backwards, I would have took it because I almost died. She said, I really shouldn't be here because all they could do was treat what was failing. They couldn't stop it. It, it had to run its course. Right. So after talking with her, I, I scheduled my vaccine and got it before we had as much data as I needed. However, leadership had changed mm. and they came in. COVID Girl. number one. Yeah. COVID was number one on the docket. Mm-hmm. And I knew they were fighting to protect their families and mine. So I said, you know, that's all I needed for a person that I knew and loved to tell me that. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't imagine, you know, when you think about medical people to me, we're like heroes. You know, if, if somebody come to me and say something's going on, I always know what to say. Or we're going to look it up or we're going to YouTube and I'm going to show you what you should do when you get back home. Because YouTube has helped, you know, just the lay person really be able to feel comfortable doing something. You can show them, but if they watch it a couple of times, they do really well. So I just feel like we didn't have that at the time. So the the biggest thing is, re, you know, in learning is return demonstration when somebody can show you something. So to see her come out of this and tell me her testimony, right? I, I didn't want, co- I said, I want the vaccine and not the ventilator because I know somebody that, that went through it and I went on and made that decision and I'm glad I did. You know, I was down the first day. It, it just knocked me out. I mean, I was asleep and I was just fatigued, but hey. I came back and and she told me, she said, I had that for like 10 days. She said, I couldn't even go to the bathroom. She said, I couldn't get out the bed. And then they couldn't let her in the hospital because the hospital was so saturated with patients with COVID. So some people, they feared dying at home without the medical team. We've never been to this place. Never, unless it's snowing outside and you can't get to the hospital. But usually when you call 911, my mom's in Florida now. They telling them across the TV not to call things mm. that they need to do and say, because the hospitals are full. Wow. So we've, we've never been here before. So we have to look at prevention. So I'm not trying to sell anybody on the vaccine. I'm just, I'm just in the midst of it. And, and I'm so, so, so tired of our people dying because it's hard. We don't, we don't know what, we don't know 
how long this is going to be here. But we as a community, as, you know, citizens, we've got to work together to stay in front of this. It's, it's not anything we can we can tie up and, and throw away. It is it's in the air. It's, it's, right. it's on surfaces. That's and right. the practices that we're doing, that's going to be our practice, which is not bad. People that are wearing masks now, they're saying their sinuses are better. They're having less asthma attacks. So there were some benefits and, you know, the things that we've shifted to. Right, right. But more needs to be, be done and, and, and people have to be cognizant. And we have to be all this in this fight together. We all Absolutely. have to be in this fight together. That, that this is a, it's so crazy because it's a beast and it's killing hundreds and thousands, millions of people around this world. And you can't even see it. You can't even see right. it coming. You don't even know where right. it is, but it's so powerful uh-huh. and deadly. And the, and it's just the, the irony in that is, is even more detrimental of why we really have to rally together and, and, right. and be appreciative to our nurses <laughs> that um, yes. are on the front lines that, that are risking their lives every single day, every second of the day. And we, we thank you. I thank you for your commitment and your service and your 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 tenacity and your strength and your courage um, to to stand in the midst of adversity and to fight this battle. Uh, we don't, you know, it's just like a war, a never ending war. We don't know when it's going to end, but you you you, right. you gear up and you 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 saddle up and, and roll up your sleeves every day, and um, right. you you stand on the front lines for us. And um, I know I I can say we appreciate you. And all the healthcare workers out there who, you know, sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. You have your family, but yet you make a sacrifice every day to sacrifice your well, life to do what you do. And we, we thank you. The nurses that are out here, they love what they do. That's why they do it. And we appreciate all the frontline people that are keeping the grocery stores open, the hardware stores open, the gas station open, everything, because we, we are in this together. And if they stop moving, we might be COVID free, but we can't eat good food and we can't, you know, get gas to get to work and things. And people, we're, everybody is working understaffed right now. So be nice to people because they, you know, I know um, at several places, they they say they run, yeah, they say they run with 50 people. Normally they run it with like 18 people. So that means, the person that's cooking might have to wash her hands and come up there and, mm-hmm. and ring you up. And you have to be patient and know that um, they they trying to work to take care of their family, but maybe those other people have passed away or they sick and can't come back. So mm-hmm. it's just a different time, but we're going to, I'm, I'm confident we're going to make it through this at the pace. I can't tell you because it ba- it's based on people, you know, feeling like they're comfortable with their decision. So I'm always teaching and just talking and really trying to um, help people to feel good about, you know, their decisions and whatever you're doing now, you stay COVID free, continue to do those things because they're working, washing your hands, social distancing, you know, and when people do have to come to your house, wipe it down and keep on moving. And it's worth it. I mean, it works. That's right. That's right. Once again, how can people, how can people get a hold 
of you or or check out where can you send people so they can get a little sneak peek of the the 2021 bronze <laughs> lens best documentary 2020 year yes <laughs> congratulations <laughs> i am so happy for you how can people get a hold of you or turn to this do- uh take a peek at this documentary or support this documentary um where can people go if you go to IG, I have a company called Closer Productions. It's K-L-O-S-A, and that's my production company. And then the movie itself, 2020 Year the Nurse Movie, has a page, and we keep them updated. I've got a media team that does a great job. And then on Facebook, I have a Closer Production page, and on Facebook, I have 2020 Year the Nurse. And my name is Robin Root. I just got married like 10 weeks ago, but if you put in Robin Jones, oh it God. pops up. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And everything is there. See, that's what I got out of COVID. I got engaged and I got married oh, all through COVID. Yes. You know, some some people broke up, but I think we kind of just grew on each other because it's like, hey, you know, it was, a, it was a taste. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what you say. If we can get through this, we're gonna be all right. That's right. And and you just have to you just have to adjust. And so, um, please get on my social media pages. We keep everybody abreast because we've um, entered the film in about seven film festivals and PBS as well. But the first film festival was Bronzeland Film Festival in Atlanta. It was fabulous, and we won best documentary. Right. And I'm still floating and. You know, technology is not such a bad thing because usually when you do movie premieres, you do them at the theater. So we might have 200 seats that you can sell, but a whole lot more people saw it because it was virtual. Right. And so that was the blessing that this has really gone worldwide because of virtual. And I I really prayed. I said, I hope they do some festivals, you know, um, virtual because that will give me a bigger audience and a bigger opportunity to speak about it. And this is the 14th interview I've had on this project since I released it the week of the nurse. And so I'm just so appreciative for the support because we've lost so many nurses and I salute them and their families and everybody that's lost someone to COVID because um, we in this together. I thank you so much for taking your time um, to be on here um, and, and sharing with us uh, of your testimony, uh, your your vision, your journey. And I know that I will have you back on Up Close with Monique McNeil again in the future, girl, because you just... Thank you, you thank you. Yeah, you are such an inspiration. <laughs> you, you are such a, a vision of hope um, to really buckle down and get things, keep keeping it ball rolling, even in the midst of adversity. To me, that's so inspirational. Um, well, thank you. And I just, I thank you for your time, and I com- thank you for your commitment. And um, I, I, I look forward to seeing where this film will go. And I, and I wish you all the best luck in, in future endeavors and all your future projects. And um, thank you so much once again for being on, on the show with us today. Well, thank you for this opportunity. And this has been amazing. And I pray that people, you know, picked up a few nuggets to, to grow on and, and we make it through this together because um, I, I, I just, I've been in it so long and I, I want things to turn around. So I'm going I'm to stay out here and keep working and see what we can do, you know? Yes. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a blessed day, girl. Okay. You do the same. <laughs> Thanks again. Absolutely. Take care. 
Okay, bye-bye.